Has anyone ever tried to put you in a box? Now, not, not literally, not physically. If so, then we may need to do a police report after this. But I just mean, you know, you ever felt like someone was trying to fit you into their idea of who you should be, their expectations of what you should be, right? Assumptions maybe about um, who you are, how you are, um, and therefore expect you to act in a certain way. Um, Oftentimes, this is just a form of kind of control, subconsciously, we don't realize it. But it's a way of figuring you out in such a way that's comfortable to me, right? But it's not really you. I hate when people do that to me. I feel it. I'm very sensitive to it. So much so as I, I, uh, that I have a coffee shop that I go to almost every day as my office here on Columbus Ave., and the other day I went in there and I, I was waiting in line. When, t- when it was my turn, the, the girl back there had already made my coffee and had it up there. And I was like, oh. You, she's like, yeah, you're a regular now. And part of it was like, oh, that's so cool. That's nice. You know, right? Part of it also was just uncomfortable for me. He's like, wait a minute. Maybe I want something different. You don't know me. <laughs> but we all do it to one extent or another, to other people and to other things in our lives. We assume things about others and we try to figure them out as quickly as possible, right? So we can put them in the right place in our minds and in our hearts, a comfortable place. We do it with people, but we also do it with parts of our life that we don't want bleeding into other parts of our lives, right? We build a box, a compartment, and put those people or those things, those aspects of our lives in those so that we can have a nice, tidy life that doesn't interfere with one another. And we do this to keep control, right? To keep our lives manageable. It reminds me of George Costanzo on Seinfeld. Most things remind me of uh, Seinfeld. But, uh, you know, he has that one episode where he says, his worlds are colliding. He's got like his girlfriend world and his friend's world. And he's like, I do not want them coming together. But what I want to talk about this morning is the fact that we do that very thing with God. And the danger is when we relegate God to a box or a compartment in our lives, we make God too small, right? Um, And God is not small, and he cannot be contained in any compartment or any box that we've set up for him walls that we build for him uh, in our lives that are comfortable and that way he stays where we want him to stay. He does what we want him to do. Because we end up with a version of God when we do that that's not really God. It's manageable. It's a manageable idea, but it's not really God at all. This morning we start our new message series, Q&A with Christ. Basically, we're going to go through the Gospels and we're going to look at different interactions that people have with Jesus, questions that they ask him, and how he answers them. And some of them he, he asks himself and answers himself because he's, he's better at asking the questions than we are. And we're going to look at the answers that Jesus gives. This week, we're looking in the first chapter of John, John chapter 1, at an encounter between Jesus and a man named Nathaniel. Nathaniel is one of the disciples, eventually. Um, 
But Nathaniel had a few compartments in his life. He had a few boxes in his life for different things, like all of us, and including one for God. And I want us to look at that this morning. So John chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 35. And it says this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Talk about John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your spirit. This morning, we can know your heart. We can hear your voice because of your spirit moving through your word. And so we open our hearts this morning, God. We bring our questions, we bring our burdens, we bring our joys, we bring them all to you this morning. Lay them at your feet, God, and ask you to, to change us according to your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Nathaniel has been known as a skeptic. You can see that in this interaction here, which is some of the only interaction we have with Nathaniel. He was kind of a skeptic. He would have fit in real well in the Upper West Side. But he was an honest skeptic, right? He was honest. He came to Jesus. He didn't play games. He was straight up. He didn't press down his doubts, his questions. He didn't just think it. He came right to Jesus, and he was straightforward with his question. I wonder if you're skeptical this morning. You know, some of us are bent a little more skeptical than others, maybe. Tony and I are a little bit different on this. She's, she believes the best about people. This is really... As it's coming out of my mouth, it's not a good thing for, on, on my part. She believes the best about people, but I'm very skeptical. And I, 
expect the worst, <laughs> typically. Because that way, I think that's a way of protecting myself. If I expect the worst, then I'm not surprised, then you can't hurt me, right? C.S. Lewis, who we're beginning Mere Christianity in our D groups, he was a skeptic. He was an atheist. He said, I believe in no religion, before he was, came to Christ, he said, I believe in no religion. There's absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. But we know eventually Lewis came to Christ, and then he, as he described that process of coming to Jesus, he says, I was a prodigal who was brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape. Now that may be you this morning. I hope not. The world does that to us. The world creates that skepticism in us. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the life of Nathaniel here. I've entitled this message this morning, Unboxed. Because I believe as we look at Nathaniel's skepticism, where he's coming from, where these questions are coming from, I believe it comes from these boxes or these compartments that he's constructed in his heart and in his mind and that we've all constructed at one point or another. But in order to know Jesus and his message, Christ needs to unbox some of these things. And so I want us to take a closer look here at what I believe Christ is teaching us about that. And first and foremost, Jesus does not fit in any God box that we might have. He doesn't fit, he can't fit, he will not fit. That question, the question that we're looking at this morning, right, that Nathaniel asked was in verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Seems like a, a New Yorker type of response. How do you know me? A couple of weeks ago, I, feel, I still feel terrible about this. It, it, it showed me that maybe I'm turning into a New Yorker a little bit more um, after five years. But Wyatt and his family uh, came and visited one Sunday, and I met them and greeted them and all those things. The very next week, Wyatt came by himself, and he was standing at that table, and I'm at the table, and I was just like, okay, so how do I know you? <laughs> and Sophie's like, he was here last week. <laughs> Sorry, man, I'm just having a lot of things on my mind. Um, but, but that's what uh, Nathaniel says to Jesus, not, not how do I know you, but how do you know me? Because he... Jesus knew Nathaniel, but Nathaniel did not yet know Jesus or who he was. See, obviously, Nathaniel didn't see Jesus as the Messiah right here at first. He saw Jesus as a rabbi, just another good teacher, but not the all-knowing, all-powerful Savior of the world. Otherwise, he would have known how Jesus knew him. But he had a God box, and Jesus didn't fit in that box. When I say God box, what I really mean is, it's what I have determined is my capacity to receive the truth about who Christ is, about who God is. It's constructed out of my own experiences, my own prejudices, my own comforts, my own limited understanding, so therefore I say, yes, uh, I can receive that. No, I can't receive that. I'm uncomfortable with that. That doesn't fit. 
This about God is true, not that about God. That just doesn't fit with what I've already got this box built out of. In Nathaniel's case, he was, a, he was not a skeptic to the existence of God, right? But to Jesus. Jesus as Savior. But what did the, the walls of this God compartment in Nathaniel look like and how did they get there? Well, first of all, it was built mainly by his Jewish upbringing, right? And by the culture that he lived in. He was a good Jew. Verse 47, Jesus said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So that sounds pretty good coming from Jesus. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, this is a good Jew, a man of faith. He's a man seeking truth. This is a major part of Christ's message. It's not about being a good Jew, though. It's not about being a good religious person. It's not being an upstanding or good person. Jesus says, here comes a good Jew. He's just like the prostitute who will come later and wash Jesus' feet. This good Jew, this religious man, he needs me just like she needs me. He has the same need that she has. But somehow, religion in Nathaniel's life had made it a little more difficult to see Jesus for who he was. To him, God was in the temple, right? To him, God's at church. He's on Sunday or Saturday. And when the Messiah comes, he will be a, a great warrior king. What a shame when religion gets in the way of who God is, gets in the way of people understanding the heart of God and the truth of Christ. May we not be guilty of this. May it never be about ceremony or procedure, organization, a list of do's or don'ts. May it never be about just our hit pastor. You don't have to worry about that. But may it be about the truth of Christ and who he is. So his religion had built somewhat of a box in his heart and mind, but not just his religion, but the culture of the time. See, this is a Jewish Roman society full of prejudice, full of classism. Prejudice is about Nazareth. In verse 45, right off the bat, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, Nazareth was a town about 55 miles north of Jerusalem. And during this time, the Jews felt like those from Nazareth, a city within the region of Galilee, they held them in low esteem because they were, there were many non-Jews living in that region. And also it was a tiny, insignificant, um, politically and socially. So if we're expecting a king, a conquering Messiah, who would be held in the highest esteem, certainly nothing like that is coming from Nazareth, that little podunk town. So Nathaniel had built this box and constructed it out of his own perspective and experiences of religion and the things that are in the culture at the time. And that seems pretty normal, right? We all come from different backgrounds. We come from different circumstances and upbringings, different perspectives. But it's important to understand that and to understand that that can limit my ability to receive at times what's really true if it's different than what I already believe. 
Just like when you meet someone for the first time and make a decision, like a snap decision on who they are before you even get to know them, right? Oh, I've seen people like this before. I've got you figured out. Has that ever happened to you? That's, that's happened to me. People have told me when I first met you, I thought this, this, and this. I had an elderly gentleman come up to me in church a few years ago down south. He came up to me, and I had been there five years. He said, I just want you to know that when you first came here, I didn't like you. <laughs> and he went through this list of reasons why he didn't like me. I wanted to stop him. I get it. He goes, but I've, I've figured out you're not like that. I figured out when I got to know you. Yeah, we don't, we don't like that happening to us, but we do that to God because of our own experience, because we think we've already got it figured out. And so Jesus comes to each of us, but he comes not like we expect. And unlike anyone you've ever met. And Nathaniel was a little confused. He was a little hesitant because Jesus didn't fit into the space he had set aside for God in his life. And the reason Jesus couldn't fit in? Well, first of all, because Jesus is God. He didn't realize that. At the beginning of this same chapter, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And a little bit later, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus. That's a pretty big thing. What does that mean? That means He knows me. He knows you better than you know yourself. Nathaniel, his question, how do you know me? Well, I created you. Jesus knows what you've been through. He knows what you've experienced, and he knows it does not define you. Yes, our experiences create a lens through which we see the world. I mean, how can it not? Of course. But we have to realize that it's a broken, cloudy lens. And so I can't always see what is true. But Jesus sees and knows the real you and I. And he sees where you've been and all you've been through, your struggle, your pain, your search for meaning. His perspective is not like ours. It's not flawed. And he knows why you were created, that you were created to be loved. And he came to heal you, to restore you. And that is the truth that is kind of, was a lot out of the box when it comes to the world and our understanding of God. I've had several people say to me, I don't get this relationship you keep talking about with God. Like I've got religion figured out, like you go and you pay your penance or you do this and you say a prayer. But this stuff you're talking about, a relationship, that is foreign. I get it because it's not what we're used to. We're used to having that compartment that we stick God in, but... He doesn't fit in that compartment. So Jesus didn't and couldn't fit into the box that Nathaniel had built because he's God. He didn't match what Nathaniel had already determined God was like, right? And Jesus can't be be manipulated or made small simply because of my limited, broken perspective. But so he was God, but also he came to heal us. In verse 29 of that chapter, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, this is John the Baptist, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Nathaniel thought that his greatest need and his people's greatest need 
was something that it really wasn't. He thought it was that they were being oppressed, right? They were being abused. They were being held down. They thought if they could just get you know, the boot of the Romans off their necks, they would be good. They could prosper. They could have power and peace that they deserved. But that wasn't their real need. See, you and I on our own, we're trying to fix and satisfy needs in our lives that aren't the real core need. My greatest need has nothing to do with my circumstances. It's eternal. The deepest need that you were not created with, well, you were created with that need for relationship with God. But we broke that in the garden. That deepest need, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God set eternity in the heart of man. It's that eternal relationship with God. If we don't meet that need, if that need is not restored and satisfied, then it's um, a, a saying I used to hear. It's like uh, everything else is just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You ever hear that? It's just like you're busy rearranging the deck chairs, you're busy, but it's sinking anyway. So you can put the chairs wherever you want. Nathaniel's greatest and critical need was to be restored to his creator, to be rescued from his sin. And that's true of every single one of us. Every human being that existed before Nathaniel and every one of us since. That's why Jesus came. A lot of us have built this God box that doesn't even include God, right? It includes me for the most part. I'm on the throne in that box. The bottom line is what we've all been taught, what we've seen in our culture, what we've experienced. If I could just get this or that, if I could just achieve this or that, if I, if I could meet the right him or her, I'd be good. If I could get out of this toxic situation and be treated more like I deserve, then I could find real joy. None of that's true. When I'm restored to God through Christ, then he brings balance. Then he begins to work in my life to guide and direct me and bring healing in those situations. But it begins with him. Love the Lord your God and love one another. We want to push that aside and love one another, but that's not what he says. I hear a lot of people say these days, I'm spiritual but not religious. I get what that means. I get it. But I think at the heart of it, what we're trying to do is we're saying, I know, I know there's something. and I know I have to have something spiritual, something deep within that I can't really ex- completely grab hold of. But it's made out of my own comfort, my own understanding. Like this or like that. It can't be like this. God is not fair if it's like that or whatever it is. But listen, if my higher power is based merely on what I already think or accept, then I am God. And if I am God, then I am in trouble. And it makes it very difficult to accept by faith, which is what God requires, to accept His love, to receive His love. Because I've got this sealed up box that I believe is my real need. The truth is that the truth will not fit into our little God or spiritual compartment. And that is that Jesus came to address our greatest need. In verse 29 where he said, uh, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus came to destroy the stranglehold that sin has on our lives. 
it's interesting. I'm, I'm going back to school and studying counseling books and um, books on therapy and, and different things. But uh, I read in this one book, it's called The Gospel for Disordered Lives. It said one of the big difficulties today is that we want to start healing from a foundation that says, you know what, deep within at my core, I'm actually good. I'm a good person. All I need to do is remove these outer forces in my life that cause the pain. But in reality, the deepest part of me is broken. I'm inclined to make bad choices. And until that is addressed, I'll continue on this cycle. That is what Jesus came to address, to give us healing in that, so that we can find healing and peace. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is the need and that's why Jesus came. As long as Nathaniel was searching for some temporary relief that was relative to himself, right? What we think is our real need is relative to myself. According to the Romans, everything was fine. Life was good for them. From their perspective, political and social situation was good. But see, Christ didn't come to simply correct those symptoms And those symptoms is exactly what oppression, inequality, racism, every other thing that plagues our society that we're wrestling with and looking for peace with we'll never find peace with because at the root in every one of us, there's a brokenness that can't be healed on our own. It is healed through Christ. That's why He came. So you and I, as long as we're searching for peace and meaning spiritually or any other way through my circumstances... You can't receive what Christ has come to give, true redemption. So what's your God box built out of this morning? Can you recognize it? Can you let Jesus blow it up? Because he will. But he will not force his way in. He'll whisper. He'll gently call your name. Holding out peace and reconciliation. And listen, Christian, this is is for us as much as anyone else. Our daily walk... See, our daily temptation is to put Jesus in my back pocket or, or, or put him on a shelf for Sunday and spend my life pursuing the temporary things of the world for meaning and satisfaction. We can say Jesus is Lord all we want, but when our priorities and our time and attention and everything else is on other things, invested in other things, those things are Lord. It takes me... To the next point, maybe we hear about Jesus and yes, I feel the tug. I know I'm broken. I believe he's savior. Maybe I can give some mental assent to him dying on the cross, et cetera, et cetera. But secondly, not only is Jesus not fit in my God box, Jesus is not fit in our life box. He's not going to be put into our life box to just follow us around or add some seasoning to our life. The truth is Jesus wants to give me and you new life. Because he explodes that God box, the compartment that we've set aside for religion and spirituality and God, and he floods every part of our lives. That's what God wants to do. He told Nathaniel in verse 50, you will see greater things than these. See, Nathaniel could not imagine the life that Christ had for him. Nathaniel wasn't a bad guy. He was religious. Jesus said no deceit. He wasn't saying that he's perfect. But Nathaniel was doing his best to be a good Israelite, right? A good citizen. Verse 48, before Philip called you, 
when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. See, rabbis often sat under trees and fig trees and studied scripture and would pray. At the end of this passage, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's telling Nathaniel, listen, life's getting ready to change if you go with me. Jesus used this picture that Nathaniel would have been familiar of, you know, the picture from Genesis chapter 28 in the Old Testament of Jacob's dream and, and what you hear about is Jacob's ladder. Jacob would one day become Israel, right? And so it was this picture of him uh, in his dream. He saw this ladder in his dream. He saw angels ascending and descending. That, that ladder was the bridge between God and man. And what he was telling him is, I'm that bridge now, Nathaniel. You will see God working through me. You will see uh, that I am the bridge to God between God and man. But it would take Nathaniel by faith letting Jesus have his life. So here's the question. Why and for what exactly are we holding on so tightly to this life for? Haven't we experienced enough of the brokenness, the broken promises of this world? And yet we're afraid to make space for God to give us the life that he's created us for. A lot of us just don't want to give up control. That's, that's scary. Thomas Nagel, a professor uh, at NYU in, in days past, he's since uh, gone on from there, but he's a popular atheist, wrote a lot of stuff. He wrote, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. See, Nagel and millions and millions just have an idea of how they want it all to work. And surrendering my life is not it. So it takes two things from us. First of all, it's releasing my grip, right? Realizing that I need an intervention. I need God's intervention. More than I need religion. More than adding some spirit, uh, spirituality. I want from my life what God has created me specifically for. Matthew 10, 39, Jesus said, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's not talking about physical death per se, but dying to my control of my life. That's what it means to come to Christ in faith. And Christian, that means making space for Christ to speak and lead in my life. In our small group this past week, we discussed um, what we as a community, the church, and Christians should look like, right? Loving, compassionate, joyful. And we asked the question, if that is how we should be, why are so many Christians just not that way? The answer is because we filled our lives with me. We filled our lives uh, for lo with looking out for my own interest first and foremost, and that always means squeezing out Christ and his lordship in my life. And the truth is, even though we get hurt and disappointed over and over again, we just can't give up control. And when we refuse to give up control, then we are missing out what Christ has for us.
John 10, 10, Jesus said that he came that you would have life and have it to the fullest. Isn't that how you want life? So Jesus doesn't fit in any box. Not the box we've set up for God, not the box that we've set up for how we want our life organized. And finally, faith destroys every box in my life, every compartment that I've set up. In verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. Verse 43, he says, come, follow me. And he told Nathanael in verse 50, you will see. And then described these things that Nathanael was going to see when he took the step of faith to follow Christ. See, Jesus' call is a call to faith. He calls Nathanael to take a step of faith. He's saying, let go of all that you once thought. Nathaniel was skeptical until he heard from Jesus. He heard Jesus speak, right? He interacted with him. He listened to him. Ultimately, he trusted him. And Jesus says, yes, you heard some from me. You know a little bit about me. But I want to show you more. And it's so critical here that Nathaniel put his faith and went with Christ. It's not written in Scripture, But historians agree that Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, a few years later traveled to India as a missionary, spreading the message of Christ. Now, he was like the rest of the disciples when Jesus uh, was crucified, right? He was uncertain. He hid. He was scared. And then suddenly, he changed after he saw Jesus. He spent the rest of his life sharing Christ up and down the western coast of India and ultimately giving his life as a martyr for his faith. From sitting under that fig tree, reading and contemplating, to a life of eternal meaning and purpose. Where are you on this journey? Are you trying to fit Christ into this box that you've assembled out of your own experience or logic or what the culture tells me? We all have scars. We all have walls. Jesus knows and understands like no one else ever could. And he still comes. He still calls. Come to me. I want to heal. I'm going to give you life. It's a very intentional and beautiful aspect to God's invitation for you and I to have a relationship with him. And it is faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith... It's impossible to please God. Why? He goes on, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, it takes faith to to love. If you're in a relationship or have ever been in a relationship, you know that. You have to allow yourself to be vulnerable, right? You have to let those walls down. To be loved and to love. It takes faith to believe in something or someone who's outside of my understanding, outside of the compartments that I've set up. But listen, if God is indeed God, of course He's not going to fit into any small ideas we have, any compartments that we built for Him to, to reside in. He wants our lives. So Christian... Maybe you've come to Christ and like Nathaniel, you've said, yes, you're him. You're the king of Israel. I believe. But he says to you this morning, just like he said to Nathaniel, you're going to see more. 
Walk with me. Go with me. Trust me every day. Stop building the walls in your life over and over again. Stop trying to put me in a box and on the Sunday shelf. Follow me. Come closer today. Trust me more and see life through the perspective of one who has been restored and remade with purpose. Someone once said, the life of faith is the life of trusting that the life God has for you is the life you would choose if you had all the information. Well, we don't. But he does. Will I trust him? Now, make no mistake about it. When we walk out that door, every single one of us is going to walk into a life of faith. We're going to live a life of faith. The question is, in what and in whom? Jesus' answer to Nathaniel's question, how do you know me, is his answer to you and to me today as well. Listen, you're going to have to think outside the box because I see you. I know where you've come from and all that you've been through. I know your deepest need, your deepest frustrations. And I've come to heal you, to walk with you, to love you, to give you life to the fullest. Come and go with me. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, that you reach out to us. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful story of redemption that is in Christ. God, if we were to, to try and heal the world, we have a lot of different ways that we would try to do it, and we see the world trying to do it every day. As a nation, we try. As a, uh, as a neighborhood, we try. As individuals and families, we try, Lord God. But this life was never meant to be lived in independence from you, but in intimate relationship with you, walking with you, God, surrendering to you, allowing you to move in and through us. And so, Lord, may we, may we let go of those preconceived ideas that we have about how you should act and what you should do. And, Lord, may we walk in a life of faith. Lord, we want you to bleed into every part of our lives. We want you to be Lord over everything because I know that walking with you, God, we know that you bring healing, you bring strength, you bring peace to me personally. You bring peace to my family, into my relationships, into my work life, into my social life. Lord, you bring peace in those things. Not that there's not struggle, but you bring peace you bring restoration. You bring hope. So God, we come as Nathaniel came this morning, honestly, laying all our questions, laying our cares at your feet. And we say, God, we don't understand it all, but we trust you. And we ask you to bring healing in our lives. We ask you to answer the questions. And God, every one of us in here on a journey today, I pray if there's someone here who's not taking that first step of the journey, which is saying, you know what? I... I trust Christ. I believe He is who He says He is. Lord, I, I want to walk with You. Lord, may we, all, may we all walk with You today as we leave this place. We love You. Thank You for loving us. In Jesus' name.